mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Raise the Bar, Hancock County is spotlighting the successes of the area's many leadership development strategies and building on them in a first-of-its-kind community leadership summit later this month. We'll get details. Also this morning, celebrating Women's History Month at the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center. Jerome Gray will be here to tell us what's happening. And our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, if spring is your favorite time of the year, have you ever considered turning your passion for gardening into a career? Tell you how to seed your future. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, March 9th, 2023. So you might have heard about this, a nationwide shortage of albuterol uh, is in the news, right? You, you heard about this. The uh, asthma medication has been, uh, there's actually been a shortage since this past fall. I think back in October, um, albuterol was placed on the FDA's uh, shortage list or some such, I don't know what they call it. But there is concerns about a shortage of albuterol for several months, and uh, experts now believe that it's going to get worse. Now, here's the here's the deal. Before you panic on this, albuterol uh, comes in several forms. It is the aer- uh, aerosolized solution used in nebulizers that is uh, on the shortage list and has been on the shortage list since October. According to the FDA, generally nebulizers are used most often in hospitals, although they can be used in a home setting as well. The shortage poses the greatest challenge, though, uh, for healthcare facilities where uh, albuterol is used most commonly um, in those nebulizers can be a problem for those who use this form of the medication at home as well. Health, health experts, though, and this is this is the point that I want to make. When we hear about these stories, we hear about this in uh, in the news that there is this shortage of albuterol, and you're thinking, "Oh my goodness!" You're panicking about this. Don't panic. The most common form of albuterol, especially in the home, are the uh, inhalers, and health experts are reassuring patients that ample supplies of the inhalers are and will continue to be available. So we don't have to panic just just yet. That's not to say that we won't have to panic at some point in the future. <laughs> but but let's not panic ahead of time. We don't need to panic yet. So may want to panic about this though, because there's always something that we have to be worried about. And if it isn't a shortage of albuterol It may be about the pending doom of planet Earth. Scientists, (laughs) what a segue. Oh, yeah, and by the way, we don't have, we we have a shortage of albuterol for uh, asthmatics. Oh, yeah, and the uh, entire Earth is coming to an end. Our planet is doomed. Scientists are warning that a 160-foot asteroid could slam into Earth 23 years from now, uh, the European Space Agency says the asteroid named it 2023 DW has a 1 in 625 chance of hitting Earth 
which I'm not sure I like those odds. One in 625. I mean, that seems more likely than I am comfortable with. Uh, when I heard this story, I went, what? Excuse me? One in, not one in one, in, not one in 625,000, <laughs> you know, uh, one in 625. Uh, the giant space rock is number one on that agency's risk list of flying objects that could strike the Earth. Uh, not only the European Space Agency, NASA in this country has also been tracking the asteroid And they say it has a very small chance of impacting our planet. But they don't assign a number to it. It's the European Space Agency that is floating out there that uh, one in 625 chance. And by the way, (laughs) by the way, the uh, date of doom that they have assigned to this, the date that it is likely to strike the Earth, February 14th, 2046. (laughs) February February 14th. So so Valentine's Day. Hmm, that's interesting. But anyway, if you need something to be worried about, um you know, need something to turn your hair gray, be fearful of, there you have it. Uh, what else is going on? Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Do you snore? This is something uh Let's talk about just as you're waking up and starting your day. Do you snore or do you have a partner who does? 56% of adults say that they or their partner snores. And a survey of 2,000 adults revealed some common snoring hacks. Things that you can try. Keep uh, yourself or your partner from snoring. Extra pillows. Drinking more water. Um... Now, I guess if you're more hydrated, your throat is less likely to dry out. And is, is that the, the theory on that? Uh, nasal strips, avoiding alcohol before bed, and even taping one's mouth shut. <laughs> taping your mouth shut. Well, I guess that would uh, fix the uh, problem maybe, maybe permanently. Do any of these common household snoring hacks actually work? Steve Smith of the company Mute Snoring says improving your nasal breathing is the best thing that snorers can do. As you snore, when you start breathing through your mouth and then your airway gets blocked temporarily and so on. If you breathe through your nose while you sleep, then you don't have that concern. Um, Those most likely to snore are men and individuals classified as obese. The proven, the top proven ways to reduce snoring include reducing your alcohol intake, using dilators, losing weight, uh, because again, those who are obese are more likely to snore, improving your indoor air quality. Uh, So an air filter or a a filtration system would work. And sleeping on your side uh, usually helps as well. So those are the you can do meanwhile this is kind of interesting speaking of uh, sleep issues researchers from the united states along with researchers in the uk and italy uh, worked on this study together where they tracked a number of participants to see how ambient light impacted 
our sleep. Scientists found that blocking light, like with a face mask, improved alertness when those in the study were awake. So blocking the ambient light during sleep actually led to improved alertness when you are awake. For the study, a group of adults were asked to spend a week sleeping with an eye mask and then one week without it. In another experiment, another part of the experiment, a group of adults wore the eye mask and a headband to measure brain activity. Both tests showed cognitive benefits related to wearing the mask. Wearing an eye mask during sleep is effective, economical, and a non-invasive way to benefit cognitive function and lead to measurable impacts on everyday life, according to the study authors. So from these stories, we can take the uh, takeaway is that if you if you uh, wear a mask and put tape over your mouth, you're in pretty good, pretty good shape. <laughs> All right, then. Just wrap our head entirely, and we should be fine. Uh, let's see. What else is uh, going on among the first things that you need to know this morning? The most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Oh, uh, how about this? Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's daughter is officially a princess. Now, Harry and Meghan have been on the outs with the royal family, but the... Sins of the parents should not be born on the children. And uh, after their grandfather Charles became king, both Lilibet and her brother Archie have officially been afforded royal prince and princess status. A spokesperson, which I think is kind of nice. I mean, it's not their fault that Harry and Meghan have had this big fallout uh, with the uh, royal family. And who knows, they may want to uh, be part of the royal goings-on in the future. Clearly, Harry and Meghan don't, but their kids may sometime down the line. A spokesperson confirmed that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex had an intimate christening ceremony for their 21-month-old daughter, Princess Lilibet Diana, last week. Now... The whole thing is not without drama because it is the royal family. Apparently, an invitation to the christening was extended to King Charles, Queen Camilla, Prince William, and Kate Middleton, and none of them attended. So, there is definitely a royal rift in that family, but uh, none of them attended. But the kids at least did get their prince and princess titles. So, there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting, if not most important, stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly cloudy today, a high of 43, mostly cloudy tonight, a low of 32. The Kiwanis Club of Finley Pancake Day fundraiser is this weekend. Kwani and Jeremy Straps as proceeds from Pancake Day help the club support the youth of Findlay and Hancock County. It's a big, big event for uh, not only Finley Kiwanis, but the, the community of Finley, and uh, we, we really appreciate the support we've had for, from the community over the years. Pancake Day is on Saturday from 7 to 1 at the Finley High School cafeteria. Get more on the website.
The state of Ohio is unveiling new data dashboards to track and report overdose deaths. The goal here is to look at tools for preventing and treating opioid misuse, opioid use disorder, and opioid overdose. Unintentional drug overdoses in 2020 here in Ohio, more than 5,000 people died. They're hoping that this information that is from the Ohio Department of Health will help as authorities and really all of us in the community try to address that issue. I'm Tracy Townsend. Finley High School assistant hockey coach Cliff Brown is being honored by the Ohio High School Athletic Association. Cliff tells us he's surprised and honored to be receiving the OHSAA Sportsmanship, Ethics, and Integrity Award. Yes, I was very, very surprised when I got the message that I had been selected to receive the SEI Award, especially after I saw who some of the other recipients have been. And that list of previous winners includes the likes of Archie Griffin and Jerry Snodgrass. Cliff will receive the award this weekend at the first intermission of the State Hockey Championship game at Nationwide Arena in Columbus. Get more of our conversation with Cliff about the award on our website. The Ohio State football team held their first spring practice, and with two-year starter C.J. Stroud off to the NFL, who's in line to be the next Buckeye quarterback? A lot of questions, but none bigger than who will be under center this fall. Our first chance to see Devin Brown and Kyle McCord go back-to-back. Ryan Day said the one thing he's looking for so early on here is that he wants to see a quarterback lead. He wants to see which one of these guys steps up in the locker room to take control of this offense. Onan's Adam King reporting Ohio State spring game is on April 15th at Ohio Stadium. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So our cover story this morning, Raise the Bar Hancock County, spotlighting successes of the area's many leadership development strategies at a first-of-its-kind community leadership summit happening later this month. And Raise the Bar, Hancock County Executive Director Trisha Valesque is with us uh, this morning. Once again, Trisha, it, there are any number of, there's one thing that we do not have a shortage of in, in this community, our leadership uh, program. You've got the Leader in Me program at the in the Finley City Schools we've talked about in the past, Hancock Leadership, Hancock Youth Leadership, it goes on and on and on. Uh, so talk about the uh, idea for kind of recognizing that and building on that uh, in this uh, in this uh, summit. It is definitely unique for Hancock County to have as many leadership programs as we have, mm-hmm. and it is time to recognize all that is going on. And this event is really to spotlight, because a lot of people are still unfamiliar that these programs exist unless they have been in them themselves, or mm-hmm. their kids are in our schools, or they have done those programs themselves. Mm-hmm. So our full-day event is going to show panels of What are we doing in the schools and with programs outside of the schools to develop youth? How are we developing adults in the in the workforce from higher ed? And then what are we doing in the places of employment? That's really uh, kind of the question that I wanted to ask. How does this fit into the mission of Raise the Bar Hancock County in terms of workforce development? When we hear from employers all the time, it's soft skills, soft skills, soft skills, which is leadership skills. Mm -hmm. And so that is why one of our three pillars of excellence in what we do revolves around developing soft and technical skills, thus leadership qualities. And it's amazing the transformation that we can see among youth who learn what these skills are like, how to 
stand out from their peers and how to be better in the in the school. Mm-hmm. And I think the adults need just as much of that kind of training and development to become excited about what we're doing in this community and take on a leadership role, committee, service leagues, whatever they can. Now, you have a couple of uh, speakers uh, who will be presenting uh, at this. Talk a little bit about that aspect of it. Yeah. We have two great keynotes. William Blackford is one of Franklin Covey's top speakers. He is a coach for many of our local schools that are doing the Leader in Me. I was going to say that Franklin Covey is the uh, company behind the seven uh, the seven habits, habits of highly yeah. effective people, and then mm-hmm. the Leader in Me for the schools. So right. yeah, William is top notch, great individual. I've heard him speak here in the community before. But then we also have Aaron Kraft, who is a Liberty Benton graduate and went and played at Ohio State and overseas. He's actually a med student down at Ohio State now. Right. But this is, you know, like I think one of his first speaking engagements in the area for a while. He comes back and does camps, but it's nice to have him come back and speak about leadership. Uh, which certainly, uh, if anyone followed uh, his career, his basketball career, he was uh, definitely a leader on the court. So knows a thing or two about uh, I leadership. think we can say yeah. both of them know a thing it, or two. Th- now, it is uh, not just the keynotes. I mean, obviously, that'll be uh, really interesting. But then there are also a number of breakout sessions and uh, other things that you're that you're doing highlighting uh, many of these leadership programs and, like we said, kind of building on them and expanding them. Yep. Uh, we have a youth panel, which is going to feature Finley City Schools, two different buildings, as well as Liberty Benton's high school and their action teams, as well as our Boy Scouts and our Children's Mentoring Connection. The adult panel, we have Hancock Leadership with the Chamber of Commerce and three different groups from the University of Finley. And in the afternoon, we have a couple places of employment. So, um a little bit of something for everyone. We're also really excited. We're world premiering a video that Franklin Covey produced about our community. Uh, we are one of the only communities in the country that has embedded the seven habits like we have. And so they came and filmed us and we're going to world premiere that video. You know, that's one of the things, uh, again, we talk about the many different leadership programs we have uh, in the community. We mentioned a, a few of them. Uh, all of which, many of which, uh, have uh, gotten national acclaim. I know, like, for example, the schools uh, have uh, fielded a number of uh, inquiries about how are you doing this and how can we uh, do this as well. So talking about leadership, we are leading in this area of leadership. Absolutely. Yeah, we are setting ourselves apart from the rest of the country. So what do you hope that people take away from this event? Well, first, it's for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, we want educators there. We want just the general public. We want businesses there. We want them to step away going, wow, this is really what Hancock County is about, and I'm proud to be a part of it. But also, I think there's going to be little nuggets of information that they can take back and either use with their families, with their children, with their workplaces. There is simply something for everyone and there is definitely information to take away from, I think, a little bit of every session. Now, uh, folks do need to register for this event, correct? Correct. The tickets are on sale. They're $10 a piece. It's very cost effective. It's at raisethebarhancock.org slash summit. 
And again, this will be an all-day event. Uh, starts at nine. Well, when we say all day, it's like a, an entire business day. Correct. It's not like dawn to dusk. Uh, so, uh, but it's uh, nine to three thirty, and it'll be happening where? We're at the University of Finley in the Weinbrenner Building, okay. which is also the TLB Auditorium. Okay. Uh, and uh, the is there a deadline for uh, tickets? Uh, yeah, we definitely register? need to have tickets in um, and register by the end of next week so the, okay. that Friday that way we can get headcount for lunches because lunch is included in the event okay uh, again it is happening uh, March 21st beginning at 9 a.m the University of Finley the community leadership summit is this something that you that you is it a one-off as we said this is a kind of a first of its kind uh, event but is this something that you can envision sort of making an annual event or a semi-annual event or something like that I think or? we'll do it more frequently yeah there's so much that I could have put on to yeah. the agenda that just don't make it, but there's plenty going on in Hancock County. Yeah, and again, uh, as it relates to your mission uh, in developing uh, the workforce, obviously uh, there is some benefit there you know, moving forward. But I'm just one group, and there's so many others who are yeah. doing the same stuff, and we're collaborating on that, and so th- I'm giving them a platform too. And has that been uh, one of the most interesting things in, in putting all of this together is the re- response that you've gotten? It's uh, been outstanding. Yeah. I love that when I make the call, everybody is like, yep, I'll be there. Let's be do this. Board. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it'll definitely be a, uh, a day well spent. We've got a link up on our webpage for more information about it, the Community Leadership Summit 2023 coming up on March. March 21st. And again, Trisha Valesk, Raise the Bar, Hancock County. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. So as we mentioned, this is uh, Women's History Month. Yesterday, International Women's Day. And the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center have some events coming up celebrating Women's History Month. Uh, joining us with all the details of what's happening, Jerome Gray, Sarah Troyer, Amber Keir. Thank you all for uh, dropping by this morning. We appreciate it. Um, so, uh, first of all, you've got an event uh, coming up on March 16th. First one that we want to uh, mention on reproduct- reproductive justice. Tell us about uh, this event, first of all. Yeah, Um yeah, so um, I'm Sarah Troyer, as he said, and I'm a new board member at the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center. And um, I started thinking about like women in general, and we had this idea of trying to, to do this event for reproductive justice, where we're really just looking at women's rights and issues that have gone on through the years and the start of that movement. Um, I have like Amber here here who helped me find this activist Jordan Close who's going to be speaking Mm -hmm. um it's it's really great you know like we talk about like the issues that affect women's health and reproduction and also effectively through the years how it's affected women of color so when you say uh women's reproductive justice uh framed in 2023 uh the word that everybody goes to or hears first is abortion. Is that what this is all about? I would say it's it's much more um, than just about abortion. It's about accessibility for everyone in healthcare. Mm-hmm. 
how how so? Kind of uh, talk a little bit, uh, lay out some of what you'd be talking about in framing this discussion. So when we talk about like reproductive justice at all, it's not only about abortion, but there's like several elements to it. So like when we talk about that, we also talk about the right to have a child, mm-hmm. meaning like th- and the right to have a child in a safe environment, because there are so many decisions that women make that affect those. So, like, if you are living in an economically poor area mm-hmm. and, like, there are a lot of women who have to make those decisions because they can't afford to feed their children. And so we have to look at all elements of that and, like, explore those issues and look at their rights as well. So fair to say that this discussion uh, will be taking, again, what grabs the headlines and then expanding on that to the parts, the things that go into those decisions that aren't talked about in the headlines. Yes. So uh, that is coming up on Thursday of next. So it's a week from today, right? You know, Chris, um, this is an issue that has continued to fester in America going back to the development of our country. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that we've been doing and continued through this week is our examination of the 1619 Project, mm-hmm. which looks at the effects of slavery as it continues through modern day. Some people say we had slavery, we ended it, we set the Negroes free, let's move on. Mm-hmm. When it comes to health care, we have the highest maternal morbidity rate, mm-hmm. one of the highest in the world. Yeah, yeah. Even though we are one of the richest countries in the world. That's something that continues to deal with all women and particularly black women. And uh, I'm glad you brought up the 1619 Project because uh, that's been an ongoing series. You've been talking about that. Yes. And again, um, the the discussion is kind of what is the 1619 Project? Because again, here, if you just listen, listen to the headlines, this is a, a very controversial project started a number of years ago with the uh, by the New York Times. Nicole Hannah-Jones uh, is the yeah. author. Um, and a lot of people don't fully understand what it is and what the intention Simply put, 1619 was the year that 20 slaves, the first 20 slaves, landed in America. By the time we got to the end of the Civil War, there were 4 million, Chris. Mm -hmm. Okay? Right. And it examines, it reframes the discussion as to the impact that slavery continues to have on our lives today. It's been said that America suffers from the PTSD of slavery, That's no matter what side your family was on, mm-hmm. we as a country still continue to be affected and, in essence, suffer from that. And all we have to do is look at our politics today, mm-hmm. and it still remains the same place, basically. Yeah. Uh, so this kind of ties in uh, to all of that. Again, we we're talking about the reproductive justice mm-hmm. uh, actually ties in to uh, all of that for the reasons that you were mentioning. Yes. Yeah. It con- it continues. You, you know. You, and I don't use the word much, but you mentioned abortion, okay? If you're going to make a woman the have a word, the A yeah. word. Yeah. if you're going to make a woman have a baby, are you going to provide her with the care that she needs to right. get up to that nine-month period after yeah. the gestation? And then are you going to help her to deal with that child well, from a financial standpoint after that child is here? And the answer ends up being no. Yeah. 
um, I and and I brought this uh, I, I brought this point up I think with some some friends of ours we were uh, having this discussion right after Roe was uh, overturned now I guess about a year ago um, that if you look at the foster care system uh, today and so it's overtaxed as it is um, you know if you even if you assume that and again, I'm going to throw this out here even if you assume that two-thirds of the uh, conceptions that end in abortion don't happen because abortion is illegal. And that's probably uh, an incredibly generous assumption. That still leaves how many additional children taxing the system that is already taxed to its limits. I mean, this is, again, going back to what you're talking about in this discussion, this is the kind of thing that you'll be bringing up, right? Yes, I think it... Abortion and reproductive justice affects not only women, but non-conforming gender folks as well. So that's like a whole other, you know, capacity of what we're talking about. And Mm -hmm. there's so many areas, um, you know, that Jordan Close from the Ohio Women's Alliance is going to touch on with us. So that that will be an interesting, uh, very interesting uh, discussion, uh, enlightening discussion, I think, for a lot of folks. And this is, like we said, a week from today. It's Thursday, March 16th. It's at uh, 7 o'clock uh, at, at the Black Heritage at the Black Library. Heritage Library. Um, and do people need to register or just drop in? No, or it's, just, okay. no. just so, come join. Yeah. Uh, so circle that on your calendar. Also, and this is kind of on the lighter side uh, you've got coming up later this month, uh, Women's History Comedy Night, which is an interesting uh, idea. Tell us about this. Yeah, Women's History Comedy Night. <laughs> Woohoo! It's nice to talk about something a little bit fun, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. A little so. bit on the lighter side. Although yeah. I'm sure that there will be some serious messages uh, underlying uh, in this as well. But it is a family. But it will be, yeah, that one would be uh, uh, very friend, family friendly. The reproductive justice is probably a conversation for grownups. Um, but this is, uh, this is something that everybody can enjoy. Yeah, so like with basically with women in comedy, what I really wanted to explore was like representation. Like women, we need to be seen everywhere. We need to be seen like in politics and healthcare, And frankly, we just need to make each other laugh. <laughs> and so I was able, you know, like with like the help of Jerome here and like um, different things, I was able to contact some some ladies that are going to come out. We've got four amazing comics. Um, there's this woman, um, Emily Garo. Um, I got connected through her through Glass City Improv because I took some improv classes just for fun. Mm-hmm. And she actually won Toledo's comedy com- comic oh, of the cool. year in very 2020, cool. 20, 2021. I didn't say words. Um, and then um, we also have um, Cece Bullock, who is coming, who's been in a few films. Um, she's also an actor. She's been on Dark Ether on Prime and Common Creed. She had a small part on White Noise on Netflix. So she's going to be a, a cool person to watch. And I think us just ex- exploring like how women are funny and then... I'm going to go up there and introduce them and try to give a little bit of knowledge from ladies from the past who have really helped further our goals here. That's going to be Saturday, March 25th. So uh, uh, that's a 6 o'clock start. That also at the uh, library? Yes, that's at the library. Um, So a number of uh, things going on for Women's History Month at the uh, Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center. And real quickly, uh, Jerome, talk a little bit about how this all fits into the big mission of the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center. 
Well, in a word, the mission of the library is to promote unity. Two words, unity and understanding. Yeah. And that goes back to the original mission that was set out by Nida Parker. We continue to further that by just providing an environment that's open and friendly and welcoming to all people. And we just wish more people would come out and see what the library is about. And we can always use support. Whether you're emotionally and financially, if you're uh, looking for uh, something that is a uh, very serious, uh, thought-provoking discussion, or whether you're just looking for something that's a little bit on the lighter side, uh, we've got some uh, events for you coming up this month for uh, Women's History Month at the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center. Again, Jerome Gray, Sarah Troyer, uh, Amber Keir. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Information that makes a difference. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Everybody is looking forward to spring. Perhaps no uh, group of individuals are more eager for a break in the weather than our golfers. And (laughs) in Baltimore... There is a uh, golf course, the Mount Pleasant Golf Course in uh, in Baltimore, is celebrating the end of the winter season with its annual Superintendent's Revenge Scramble. <laughs> I love this. Uh, basically, they turn the course into an obstacle course for golfers. Um, <laughs> they uh, you you have to deal with the regular hazards, you know. Um, sand traps and water hazards and trees and so on. But then they also <laughs> have uh, have put in additional hazards like giant box fans and tractors and wooden pallets and garden hoses, bales of hay and more. <laughs> Not only that, once you navigate all of these things in the fairways, you'll have to deal with nasty pin placements on the greens, stuff that you normally try to avoid... We give them the green light to go ahead and put a couple of them on the slopes. <laughs> on the slopes of the greens. You <laughs> get the holes. Ed Miller, Mount Pleasant's golf professional, tells local news reporters uh, that the goal of the superintendent's revenge scramble is to make the day interesting and fun for the ground staff and players alike. <laughs> I, I love that idea. We, we've got to do that around here. That is just all kinds of awesome. It's basically turning a regular golf course into a giant miniature golf course with all of the extra hazards. What they need to do is build a giant windmill on one of the fairways just to make it fun. Uh, Let's see. Some of the other uh, broken news, the odd and unusual side of the headlines. Uh, One fairly close to home. Here's an Ohio story. An exotic wild cat is now being cared for at the Cincinnati Zoo. After a really bad trip, I mean a really bad trip. You've heard of the the movie in theaters now, Cocaine Bear. This was a uh, cocaine serval. The uh, wild cat, uh, which is native to Africa, the African serval, um, tested positive for cocaine once it had been captured. It was uh, spotted uh, late January when residents in Cincinnati reported a leopard of some kind up in a tree. Uh, The cat turned out to be a serval, 
and uh, is now receiving medical treatment. It is unclear how the animal was exposed to the contraband substance. Um, but they believe that uh, the cat was uh, someone's pet and it cannot be kept legally. They cannot be kept legally as pets in Ohio. So the Cincinnati Zoo has taken ownership of, uh, of this cat and uh, he or she uh, is in recovery. That is crazy. <laughs> Cocaine cat. Make a movie out of that. Um, from the international file, the uh, oh, I uh, have another uh, animal story. This uh, actually from Arizona, where a uh, resident returned to their home in San Manuel, Arizona, to find a bobcat in their doggy bed. <laughs> it's sort of like a Goldilocks kind of thing. Um, the homeowner contacted authorities. But the wild animal decided to leave on its own after completing its nap there in the doggy bed. It woke up, stretched, and walked out. The homeowner believes that the animal came in through the doggy door. The Arizona Game and Fish Department tweeted photos of the bobcat in the bed with a blanket, (laughs) reminded residents not to handle or approach entrapped or injured wildlife. Uh, Of course... I, you know, I know what I would do. The first thing that I would do after something that I board up the doggy door. That's the first thing that I would do, board up the doggy door. I mean, the dog having a mess in the house, on balance, would be much preferable to having a wild bobcat make their way in the house. Um, of course, in true modern-day tradition, the bobcat uh, apparently had a uh, has now its own Twitter account. <laughs> Somebody started a a Twitter account for the Bobcat, and uh, apparently the Bobcat uh, left a negative review of its Airbnb experience. (laughs) All right. Uh, This one from the International Files, who mentioned, uh, from Thailand. A man in Bangkok is facing two years in prison for selling calendars featuring images of yellow ducks. (laughs) Two years in prison for this. Apparently, the criminal court in Bangkok said Ton Mai mocked the country's king. Uh, Ducks, apparently, are sometimes used as a symbol of Thailand's pro-democracy movement. And we can't have any of that! Um, Inflatable ducks have been spotted at anti-government rallies and so on, and so the fact that there were yellow ducks in this calendar, uh, that is a no-no. Elaine Pearson of Humans, Human Rights Watch has asked the Thai authorities to quash the sentence and release Ton Mai. The prosecution and multi-year sentence of a man for selling satirical calendars shows that authorities in Thailand are now trying to punish any activity they deem to be insulting to the monarchy. Yeah, that's kind of a uh, kind of the point of the monarchy. That's <laughs> yellow ducks gonna land. Can you imagine explaining what are you in for? Well, I sold calendars with yellow ducks. Terrible, terrible crime. And finally, in the broken news this morning, this is a crazy outcome. What police officers thought was just a routine traffic stop turned out to be a blessing in disguise for 58-year-old Tamara Palmer, 
Back in December, police officers were called to a highway in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, on reports of a potential drunk driver. Uh, Two responding officers from the Mount Pleasant Police Department observed Ms. Palmer erratically driving, striking the curb, veering in and out of lanes, veering in and out of her lane multiple times. So thinking that she was probably inebriated, they pulled her over and questioned her. But they soon realized that something was very wrong. Uh, She had no drugs or alcohol in her system. Uh, But uh, Ms. Palmer said she had a bad headache and she had lost her vision for a few seconds. It was at that point that the authorities realized that something medically was going on. Something was just not right. The officers requested an ambulance after deciding that she was possibly having a medical episode. Uh, Ms. Palmer said an MRI at the hospital detected a brain tumor. Doctors told her it was possible the tumor had been growing in her head for 35 years. And because of the size and location of the tumor, doctors rushed her into surgery. Now fully recovered, Ms. Palmer says she has returned to work at her uh, teaching job. She said she is grateful to have been given a second chance at life thanks to the quick thinking of the police officers who pulled her over that day. Isn't that crazy? That is... It's actually fabulous. Kudos to the officers for realizing something wasn't just wasn't quite right and uh, getting help. But uh, usually when you think you're pulled over by the cops, that's not a good thing. But in her case... It was a lifesaver, to be sure. There you go. Some of the uh, odd and unusual uh, items in the news. Today's broken news report. And we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And yet another major brand just announced it's halting all social media advertising. The two most overused and abused words in advertising are truth and trust. They are the two most precious commodities for all brands, big and small. As an advertiser, you have to trust your partners to protect your brand's truth using the media consumer's trust. Radio, it's on. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. You've heard the old saying that nice guys finish last, and that may be true when it comes to saving money. A new study finds that nice people are not very good at it. Uh, researchers at Columbia University and the University of Colorado at Boulder uh, worked together on this uh, research. They did a number of experiments. Um, what, they, what they found overall is that Americans save just 2.3% of their income on average, 2.3%, and that represents the lowest portion of, of income saved in nearly two decades. So we really need to do better on this. So the question is, how can we encourage people to do better? That was what they were looking to find out. Experts found that people will save more with sacrifices to benefit their futures. The personality match effect uh, is also at play here. Uh, Experts found that people were three and a half times more likely to save if they received reminders encouraging them to put money away in kind of a nice way, kind of a gentle nudge, a friendly nudge uh, in a tone that matches their personality traits. 
this uh, research team uh, took a look at uh, there were about twenty five hundred people in this uh, in this assessment. First of all, they asked about their personality traits. They categorized people into the big five personality traits: agreeableness, conscientiousness, neuroticism, openness, and extroversion. They are extroverts or introverts. Uh, they also studied saving ambitions, including stashing money away for different purposes, like uh, save up for a car, save up for their holiday fund, or a rainy day fund, or saving for retirement. All of the different reasons why people might save. And then experts compared savings goals with personality traits. Wealthy participants saved the most. Which, I guess, makes sense. If they save the most, that's one of the reasons why they're probably wealthy. <laughs> so, no big surprise there. But, uh, but wealthy participants self-reported saving goals matching participants' personality traits uh, explained around 5% of the variance across all income levels. Um, wealthy people more likely to save slightly more likely to save than poor people. But what really, and there's a long way around to say, to get back to the original point, what really was interesting is that people who were agreeable, the nice people, were the worst at saving money. Of all of the different factors, when you took everything into consideration, nice people were the least successful in saving money. <laughs> and the reason the researchers concluded is that uh, one of the, the main reasons, according to the conclusions of the researchers, people who are more agreeable are the least likely to save money because they prioritize hanging out with people over material wealth. They just don't value material wealth. They live more in the here and now enjoying their time with their friends and family and so on because they're nice people and uh, I guess maybe more likely to pick up the tab <laughs> or something along those lines. I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, I thought it was uh, all really interesting stuff uh, comparing savers and spenders by personality traits, income levels, and so on. But again, the bottom line, Americans saving only 2.3% of their income, the lowest in nearly two decades overall, we need to do a much better job, regardless of personality or income level, any of that. And now to our Throwback Thursday segment this morning with spring less than two weeks away now. What is it that you most look forward to about the new season? If you said finally getting back out in the garden, well, listen up. What if you could turn your backyard horticulture hobby into a full-fledged career? That is the idea behind the Seed Your Future initiative to highlight the many opportunities in what quite literally is a growing field. Back in March of 2016, we spoke with Paul Redmond. He is co-chair of Seed Your Future. It is today's Throwback Thursday. You want to get the word out about this because there are fewer young people entering this field these days, from what I understand. Yes, unfortunately, that that is a, a fact, and that's the very reason that we have brought Seed Your Future to life, is that we want to increase the awareness of horticulture as a viable and rewarding career, 
to young people and their families and, and school teachers. Now, it's more than just about the, the pretty flowers that we put in our gardens. I mean, obviously, uh, that's a part of the horticulture industry, but there's uh, much. it's much broader than that. Oh, and that's one of the exciting things about um, being a horticulturist because there's so many different avenues that anyone can explore. If you really love science, you could uh, have a career in horticulture where you're wearing a white lab coat and doing some really very exciting, progressive and cutting-edge scientific research with plant genetics and plant physiology. Or you could work in a professional sports venue like a football stadium or baseball stadium or professional golf course where you're managing and re- managing and responsible for the turf or even developing that turf. Or, as you were saying, that you could grow beautiful flowers and fruits and vegetables and produce the food that, that we all eat. And then another dynamic um, aspect of career uh, or career options for people is just in, in, a, in a category that I call taking care of the earth. Um, there's a whole field of horticulture studies that involves ecological restoration and land management. And, and really, you, you focus in on some of those. You talk about food production and conservation and uh, you know, ecological uh, issues. You know, this gets into some really serious stuff here. I mean, it is, uh, it is again, more than just you know, the, the pretty playing fields and the pretty gardens. I mean, this is, this is really critical uh, to our future. Well, absolutely. We are facing enormous challenges as a society, and I think that that goes without saying. Food safety, food health, nutrition, um, caring for the planet, as I was talking about, these are enormous challenges that we're facing, and horticulturists are at the table helping to solve these problems. And when we say that there are fewer uh, young people going into these fields, how serious is this shortage uh, at this point today? Well, let me put it in perspective for you like this, is that last year, um, USDA and Purdue University did a study of careers and jobs in agriculture, of which horticulture is a segment of of horticulture. And last year alone, in 2015, there were almost 23,000 jobs that were left unfilled. And so there are jobs out there for people within the horticulture segment that are going, that are remaining empty. And so the issue is, is that young people, 7th, 8th, and ninth and 10th graders, are not being exposed to horticulture and learning about horticulture as a career path, which then is cutting off the pipeline to fill two-year and four-year college programs uh, to then fill the jobs. And uh, the uh, statistics show, surveys show that uh, a lot of times people don't think of the wide-ranging uh, uh, career opportunities that are available in this field, which is one of the reasons why, as you were just pointing out, there's it, there's so much diversity uh, in this field. But let's say that I do have uh, a, a student, a son or daughter, who is interested in this. When we start to think about all of these possible career paths and the importance of, of many of these, um, what should those students at that age start to be doing, start to be thinking about in order to set themselves up for a career uh, going in this direction? Well, I would encourage um, students to become involved in great organizations like uh, the National Junior Horticulture Association, 4-H, FFA, 
for young master gardeners. Um, every county has an extension service, and most counties have a master gardener program. And they have a great avenue for young people to become involved in, in the community mm-hmm. through the Young Master Gardeners Program. That's the first way. And then there are many businesses out there, greenhouses, um, botanical gardens, that offer high school internship or cooperative programs so that they could actually go to school and work in a place like Longwood Gardens or a very cutting-edge horticultural research company and then pursue a career. So I would encourage young people to get engaged, get involved, and to get experience. And academically, because we're going to be coming up on the time when a lot of high school students will be, you know, choosing their classes for the upcoming year and so on and so forth. Is there an academic path that you would recommend uh, for for students' classes to look at in high school again that will prepare them moving forward into uh, into college in this field? And so, the biology and botany, with without a doubt, are two um, important classes. And then I'd, always, I'd also encourage people to um, explore business classes if they um, have that opportunity with, within their high school because you can choose so many different pathways in horticulture. You can either go into the lab or you could go into a for-profit or non-profit business and having that base of um, business skills will be very important. Again, it is a career path to really think about because the opportunities abound. It is such a wide-ranging field, and the need is incredible uh, right now in uh, horticulture. And again, we're speaking with Paul Redman. He is the co-chair of the Seed Your Future initiative. Where do we learn more about this initiative and uh, all of these resources that we were talking about and more? And so your listeners can go to our website at seedyourfuture.org. And on our website, they can learn about how they can become engaged by becoming a plant mentor and just spreading the word about horticulture. And they can also um, view these great testimonials we have from current professionals that are in horticulture telling their stories and what their career path is. And we also have a comprehensive listing of two-year and four-year universities and colleges in the United States that offer degrees in courses of study in horticulture. And then the other thing, of course, that we would love for people to do is to um, donate and support Seed Your Future because we're going to need a lot of help to achieve this vision. All the way back in March of 2016, that is our Throwback Thursday segment this morning. You can get more information about the Seed Your Future initiative at our webpage, goodmornings.net. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And again, remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on our show at our webpage, again, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, leadership success secrets from women who have made it to the top. Former Fortune 500 executive and entrepreneur Deb Bolkus talks about the wisdom in her new book, Strong Suit. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.